Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We're going through a series now. I should wait till Kayla gets out. Called Good Roots. Good Roots. Uh, and, and for seven weeks, we preached on the corrupt roots of bitterness and, and how circumstances or betrayals, illnesses, things of that nature can turn us or we can allow ourselves to be turned bitter. Have you ever met someone that's bitter? Right, yeah. Have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> Pat has, yeah. Uh, and, and as we went through that series, we, d- we talked about how that it's a, it's a hidden root, that it's, it's under the surface, and, and oftentimes we miss it. That's why I went through that seven weeks, and I had a situation in my own home where, where, where there was a terrible betrayal, and I was talking to my family and saying, we got to be careful of bitterness, guys. We cannot let bitterness come in. God tells us to love our enemies. In fact, Jesus says, if you only love your friends or you only love those who are good to you, how are you any different than the rest of the world? But if you love your enemies, then you'll be called, or you are, the children of the Father. Has anyone loved their enemies here in this church? Was it easy? Now, the reason it's not easy is because we try to do it in our own strength. Not many people wanted to raise their hands. Some of you have succeeded in loving your enemies. And I know it may feel like bragging that you would raise your hand and say, yes, I've done this. But to me, it's encouraging. You're able to love your enemies because God, the Holy Spirit, living in you gives you that power. We can love our enemies. We can love those who are completely different than us. And when you love someone, you treat them differently, don't you? And so one tip that I'll give you, in case I didn't mention or maybe you've forgotten, is when you're struggling with someone who has become your enemy, practice praying for them. Now, not like Kirsten prays. You know that country song? I pray the flower pot falls off the shelf and hits you in the head. I pray your brakes go out when you're going down a hill. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about an imprecatory prayer which the psalmist David wrote in the Old Testament book of Psalms where he said, Lord, kill my enemies. Because we're in an age of grace. And what David was doing for us was expressing his human emotion. And you can feel that way. And you can say, God, help me. God, take care of my enemies and do it however you want to, (laughs) right? 
Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith's done me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his deeds. And when Paul said that, what he was saying was, you know more about the situation than I do. And so you take care. You reward him. When he said reward, he wasn't talking about giving him about, uh, like a million dollars. He was basically saying, give him, what he ju- what, give him his just dessert. But if you're struggling, guys, I would, I would really recommend that you pray for the person who is your enemy. Pray for them. Lift up the offense to God. Put it in his hands and allow him to love them through you. That doesn't mean you put your neck on the chopping block and allow them to chop your head off. This is a spiritual discerned thing. We want to move on from there to good roots and what can we do to cultivate those good roots in our lives. And, and last week we talked about Jesus is enough. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can keep us saved. And only Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Today we want to talk about our, our new identity. Your new identity. If you have come to Jesus, and you have recognized before a holy God, That you are a sinner without excuse. In case you're wondering what sin is. you Lying. Stealing. Coveting your neighbor's anything. Wife, possessions, servants. Taking the name of our God in vain. Placing anything above God in your life. Including family including finances. Those are sin. I would boil it down to this, that if you are harming yourself or others, you are sinning. And Jesus came to die for that sin. And even just one sin in your life is one sin too many if it has not been covered by the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. And when you die, you will be confronted by God the judge at the great white throne judgment as described in the book of Revelation. And we will make as many excuses as we want to. It wasn't that big a deal. That's what a lot of people think about sin today. Well, it wasn't that big a deal. And all those things that you missed, they're going to come up again. And everything that you said is going to be judged. In fact, the Bible says if we think about another person with lust in our hearts, that we have committed adultery in our hearts. You think lustfully after another person, man or woman. It says if you look at your brother and you curse your brother, fool. That you're in danger of hellfire. What you think in your heart is going to be revealed in the day of that judgment. And if you don't know Christ, there's no escape. You won't have a public defendant. You won't have anyone on your side standing before God, defending your character, saying to him, it's not that bad. Because God is absolutely holy. And if if he allowed one White lie to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven would now be corrupt. The Bible teaches us in James that uh, 
he that offends in one point, offends the law in one point, is guilty of all, because the law is not just individual laws. Thou shalt not lie, bear false witness, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. The law is a body. And when you break one, you've broken the body. Are, we with, are you with me? So if I stab you, you probably say, oh, he stabbed me. Um, you're not just going to say, he stabbed my stomach. He stabbed me. Broke the skin of the body. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you need a new identity. But if you do know Jesus, guys, we need to start living out of our new identities. Identity is absolutely vitally important. So turn in your Bibles with me to John, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Verses 1 to 4, there is therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean? Condemnation is, is judgment that you will face a sentence that you will bear. The Bible says that he that believes not in Jesus, ready, is condemned already. The sentence has been passed, and there's only one way for that sentence to be commuted, removed. That one way is Jesus. And the reason why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because Christ Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He paid that penalty. So the condemnation, the sentence that was on all of us, was removed from us and placed on Jesus the moment we asked him to be our personal Savior. That is wicked awesome. He says that we walk, we do not walk in the flesh, or according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And when he says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, that's a... That's a that's an explanation of what it is to be in Christ. We have a new walk. We have a spiritual walk now. We are not to give in to our fleshly desires. That would lead us back into sin. It doesn't lead us from the gift of our salvation. It doesn't strip from us the security of our salvation. But it leads to death in this life. Death of love, death of um, relationships. Emotional, spiritual struggle. But he goes on in chapter 8 and he begins, he says this in, in 2. For the law of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. And so what he's saying is that God gave these commandments. And, and Paul is saying that these commandments were not enough to grant to anyone on earth salvation. You know why? Hey, how do you know you're going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. Why? Because, well, you know, I don't lie. I don't cheat. I, I try to keep those Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not what saves a soul from hell. The Ten Commandments is what reveals to that soul, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. The flesh was weak. See, the law couldn't do it because our flesh is weak. 
Have you ever tried to stop doing something that you've created a bad habit of doing? Anybody else like that here? Anyone else procrastinate? Pastor, it's a mental illness to procrastinate. Great. That's the flesh. How many of you read your Bible every single day this week? How many of you know it's really good to read your Bible every single day? How many of you think we should read our Bibles every day? How many of you prayed every single day this week? How many of you prayed at least three times a day this week? Daniel prayed three times a day. It was an example, not an instruction, but how many of you prayed through the day this week? Throughout the day. He said, in prayer, we're to be unceasing. So not only do we have a difficult time breaking bad habits, but sometimes we have a difficult time creating good habits. This is what he's saying. The flesh could not keep the law. It was impossible to do. And that's why Jesus came. God did it for us by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the account of sin, he condemned sin in his flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For as many as are, are led by the Spirit, verse 14, of God, these are the sons of God. So if you've come to Christ for salvation and your sins have been cleansed and you're no longer condemned, you've been declared not guilty in the high court of heaven, and when you die, you're not going to stand before the white throne judgment. You're going to stand before the bema seat of Christ. It's a completely different scenario for you. You'll be rewarded for the things that you did in the spirit while here on earth. It's an amazing thing. We are the sons of God. We received him. We're now led by the spirit. The spirit is within us. And he guides us and he directs us and he convicts us and he loves us and he comforts us and he confronts us. We are the, the sons of God for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs. And if heirs, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Who here is, has suffered lately? Anyone suffered lately? Just me? When I say lately, I mean within the last year. How about that? Thanks. How many of you have suffered through at any, time, any point in your life like, like real, legit hardship where you felt it and it was deep? If you haven't yet, you will. We don't get out of life without suffering. At the very least, you're going to die. God, God tells us that, that we're going to suffer. It's just a reality of the human condition. But here's Paul saying, I consider the sufferings of this present time. And Paul suffered. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. Um, 
he, he, he knew he was going to suffer going into ministry, like God revealed to him all of the things he must suffer. That's what the Bible teaches us. How many of you would sign up for that assignment? This is going to happen to you. You're going to be stoned. Essentially, you're going to be killed and left for dead outside of the city walls. You're going to be falsely accused. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be belittled. You're going to face persecution and opposition at every turn. You're going to be run out of town after town after town. Sign me up. Sign me up. And yet here's Paul who suffered shipwrecks and snake bites. I mean, this guy went through it. And he said, I consider the sufferings of this present time to be unworthy to even compare to what's coming next. That's pretty good stuff. To the glory which shall be revealed in us. I believe even here, as we go through suffering, as we struggle on earth and people observe how we walk through these battles and they begin to see Jesus in us, the glory revealed in us. I want to talk about power. You want to talk about the power of God revealed to man. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What he's talking about, listen, this is what comes next. This earth is not always going to be under the curse. One, death, one day this earth is going to be remade into Eden. It's going to be beautiful. And it's coming. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Spiritually, we've been placed into the family of God if we've trusted in Jesus, but physically, we're still waiting for that reality to occur, the resurrection with a new body filled with our new and clean and holy spirits and souls. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that's seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? I've lost some good friends over the last number of years, and these good friends that I've lost... We're believers in Jesus. And, and there's, there's three great things in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, right? Chapter 13, this chapter is always read at weddings. The love chapter. He says these three things remain, right? Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Why do you think the greatest is love? I think the greatest is love is because when you finally get to heaven, you no longer need the hope of a better thing to come. We no longer look forward to future glory. We are in it right now. And faith will be made sight. We won't have to believe on Jesus because someone told us about him and because the Bible speaks about him. Dude, we're going to see him face to face. But you know what remains? You know what isn't going to be done away with? You know what will always be there? Love. Now, you may some, have some measure of hope and some measure of faith, but love remains. It's the most powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. So this is what he's saying. 
If, if we're in heaven and we're already experiencing it, then we're not hoping for it. It's realized. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly, eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered now. He who reaches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What, what shall we say to these things? If, if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. Now we have an enemy. He's a spiritual enemy. We call him Satan. We call him the devil. We may call him Lucifer. And he accuses the brethren, constantly accuses us. And when you're in church and you're being cantankerous with each other and you're throwing out false accusations or you're, you're, <clears throat> you're uh, assuming things about one another that you should not be assuming... You're doing the devil's job for him. But who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. Furthermore, it's all, is, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, who is the us that this passage is talking about? Who is the us? The people that have trusted Christ, they have been made the children of God, right? So what can separate us? Do you know Jesus? I mean, do you know him? Have you trusted him for your salvation? Have you believed that he's God the Son, that he, that he came to earth, born as a baby, walked the earth for over 30 years, died on the cross, and then rose from the grave? Do you believe that? Have you, have you turned and, and recognized that you're a sinner by birth and by choice and, and cried out to Jesus to be your personal Savior? Have you done that? You're the us. You're the us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. Remember, we we're talking about suffering and trials and troubles. Will that separate us from the love of Christ? When we begin to question the love of Christ. We're allowing the suffering in our lives, the distress, the persecution, the famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. We're allowing it to have a bigger role in our lives than we should. Aren't we? Jesus should be the greatest role in our life. He should be playing the greatest role. He should be the the, the, the thing on the horizon that eclipses all other things. Well, let's move on. As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, some people might say, nor life, Sometimes I think life is harder than death. 
Sometimes it just seems that way, doesn't it? Sometimes life is so good, so successful, that it can draw our hearts away from what really matters. But he says, neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, principalities or powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, that was a lot of reading this morning, wasn't it? Now, I know you guys, you just got your reading done for the day, maybe for the week. There's power in the words of God. Great power. And what do we discover in these passages? Here we are. That you, if you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, are a child of God. Now, I like to think I'm a pretty good dad. And I know that there have been times where I've not been a great dad. There were times that I wasn't even a good dad. But I think my average is that I'm a pretty good dad. I think that Nate's Nate nodding his head. Chloe's smirking somewhere in the kids' club, e-kids. Kirsten would say no just to get a laugh. And I know that my kids, they have friends who do not have good and godly parents. Friends that suffer abuse. Friends whose parents don't, don't give a rat's rear end about them. Live or die. They're just inconveniences to them. When I was coaching football, it was particularly heartbreaking to see some of the kids' relationships with their dads. Heartbreaking. And that's the beauty of being a coach. You can show those kids love. You can give those kids confidence. You can let them know somebody cares about them. That's the best thing about coaching. I mean, I love football, but showing those kids that somebody really cares about them. It's just huge. Folks, before we came to Christ, we weren't the children of God. Our father was abusive. Jesus says we're the children of our father, the devil, the liar, murderer from the beginning. But when we came to Jesus, when we came to Jesus, we were adopted into the family of God. We were born again. To be a child means that we are children by the virtue of a gracious acceptance. In my life, my wife and I have taken people in. Really, we've taken people into our hearts. And there's a, there's a young woman still calls me dad. Most of you know her. Winnie, or her real name is Melissa. Still calls me dad. Now that she's a mom herself, she communicates with me, and, and it's awesome. And we took Anita into our home. She was 18, horrible situation where she was. No, was it no electricity or no hot water? I can't remember, but we took her into our home. Virtue of graciousness brought her into her home. She still calls me dad. God is bringing you into his family, bringing you into his home. Now, I know that you, you're sitting here and you say, yeah, I don't feel like a child of God. I don't feel good. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel 
like I'm part of his family. You know, it took Anita, gosh, how long did it take her before she stopped being annoying? Oh, she's still, we're still working on that. But it, it, it took a while for her to acclimate to being in a nuclear family with a mom and a dad and sisters and a brother. It took her a while. She would go up into her cave, stomp down the stairs, not help around the house. And I could tell you that ended. Probably about two weeks into our experience together, I knocked on her door. I said, okay, you want a dad? You want to know what a dad is like? Being, having a dad is like? It's like this. Get out of your room, get downstairs, help with the dishes, sweep the living room, and sit down with the family. <laughs> That's what having a dad is like. There you go. Isn't it awesome? And uh, she came downstairs. She helped with the house. She helped bathe Nate. She helped change his diapers. And... Um, she sat on the living room sofa and watched American Idol with the family. She became part of the family. Folks, you came to Christ. It doesn't mean that immediately, immediately, all of your baggage was instantly removed. It doesn't mean your flesh was completely conquered and destroyed. It means you have a new spiritual DNA. It means you're a child of God. And we need to get used to living as children of God with security. This poor girl had no security. She had people that loved her, but they were struggling and they didn't know how to make ends meet and they really didn't know how to parent a girl whose father was in prison for trying to drown her, her uh, big sister in a bathtub. That was her life. We, we come to Christ with our history. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up because you're not making it yet. Because you don't think you, you're worthy yet. You by virtue of God introducing Jesus to you, you are worthy. By the virtue of God introducing Jesus to you and then you accepting him as your savior, you are valued and you are worthy and you are a treasure to your father. In fact, we look at child, we look at adopted to be placed into the family with the full rights and privileges of a son. You are not Hear me now, you are not the black sheep of God's family. You're not the black sheep of God's family. You are adopted. You have been chosen. You have been called. You have been cleansed spiritually from all of your sin, past, present, future. You have a new identity, and your identity is that you are a child of God. And when Paul says in the passage we read, Abba, Oh, we did a series on this a couple of years ago or a year ago, <clears throat> maybe two, where I talked about Abba Father and the importance of recognizing that. I'm going to read something to you. Abba is an Aramaic word for Papa. It's a term of great intimacy and affectionate respect. It was normally the first word a child would utter, like Daddy. My kids all said Daddy first. No, they didn't. Did they? I don't really remember anymore. It's a term of endearment used within the family circle, not unlike our word, dad. Not father. Dad. My kids call me father when they're joking around. 
Chloe calls me dad. I love being called dad. I love it. Nate calls me pops. I love being called pops by my boy. I love it. It's a term of endearment, unless he's making fun of me for being old. And then uh, we'll do some more shoveling. This is, how, this is the kind of relationship you and I are supposed to have with God. Papa. Dad. We say Father because we're kind of uncomfortable calling God Dad, aren't we? We say Father, and we could say Abba because Abba's not familiar to us. And we're like, oh, it's a Bible word. I'll say Abba from now on because that means Dad. But you don't want to say Dad, do you? You're uncomfortable with it. So am I. But when Paul wrote this, Abba, Father. The Spirit cries out, Abba, if you don't. In fact, Jesus called God Abba. And the religious people hated him for it because they were terribly uncomfortable referring to God as Pops. Let's move on. Matthew, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. Whoa. Oh, Lord. We started really late today. I'm going to go through this passage very quickly. So if you're trying to follow me while I read, just listen. It's up on the screen. Write it down. I'm going to go fast. You ready? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is through his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another uh, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, not forsaking, that is twice. So, thank you, Lord. You are secure in the Holy Spirit. As a child of God, your, your new identity cannot be washed away. You will not get kicked out of the family. Once he calls you child, you're a child forever. Now, one of my kids could really mess up and I can kick him out of the house. I could kick him out of the house to teach them a lesson, not because I hate them, <clears throat> but because I love them and they have crossed too many lines and they need to learn how to live on the outside and understand that what they had was good when they had it. Or just be taught lessons that we can't teach them at home because their heart has become too hard. But removing my child from my home, listen up, man, does not mean I am removing my child from my family. You prick their finger and you take their blood, you bring it to a lab, you know what it's going to say? Davis, can't deny it. Chloe looks like me, Nate acts like me. Can't deny it, it's there. God may have to discipline us, and at times there is church discipline where someone is asked or told that they need to leave the body for a time. 
but they're still a child of God. Prick their spiritual finger, and it says you are secured in the Holy Spirit. We are adopted in the Spirit to the day of the redemption of our bodies. So you have, Pastor, I don't feel saved. I don't feel good. Did you trust Jesus? Did you trust Jesus? Well, yes, I did. Well, I don't care how you feel. Well, I mean, I care, but not that much. Because you're a child of God, and you need to talk to your feelings. By the way, you gotta have, some of you all have to have some conversations with your feelings. Stop it. I am a child of God. I am worthy. He chose me. He adopted me. He's my papa. He loves me and nothing can separate me from him. I have spiritual DNA. Y'all got to start talking back to the lies. Sometimes they're lies that your own head is making up and sometimes they're lies that a spiritual principality is coming in and sending to you. What happens when we're not living out of our identity? We fall into all sorts of sins. We become depressed. And listen, I know there's mental illness, depression, and then there's depression because you're just not following God living out of your identity. Don't mistake the two, please. One is because we have a brokenness in a sinful world and our bodies are broken. The other is circumstantial. There's a lot of people that are depressed from circumstance, not from biology. They're depressed because they're not, they're not walking in their new identity, and they're believing the lies that the enemy is telling them. And then there are those who are biologically depressed. They can talk back all they want, but there's a biological component that does not allow them to access the tools that God has gave, given to them. So don't you walk out of here saying, Pastor believes all mental illness is from devil. No, I don't. But I do believe that God can help you on either track. On either side, he can help you. So, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. We have him dwelling in us. We have a new nature and a new way brought about by the living Spirit of God. In Corinthians, it says, we exchanged corruption for incorruption, mortality for immortality. The children of God, we have a new and living connection to God. <clears throat> when you are saved, when you, are, when you become a child of God, the connection that you have to God is different than before you became a child of God. Listen, I love your kids, church. I do. Um, but they do not have the same connection to me as my kids. You follow? I love the kids that I coach. But I don't have the same connection with the kids that I coach. I can influence them. I can show them my care. I can show them my love. Love them. But there can't be that same connection. When you become a child of God, it's a new connection. Your spirit is now alive and communicating with the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> we have a spirit that indwells us and provides the power and conviction to live in a new way. You are no longer in debt. Everybody's going, woo! Yes! <clears throat> I mean to sin. The penalty, the debt that you've been stacking up your whole life of sin is gone. The moment you trusted Jesus, it's gone. It's washed away, period. And you're no longer a slave. 
We just sang that in worship a little while ago. We are no longer slaves. The devil is no longer our master. The world is no longer our master. We need, listen, we need to throw off the shackles that have bound us to sin and realize that our new identity means freedom in Christ, freedom in the Spirit. Even if we're not walking daily in the Spirit, then we're putting ourselves back into bondage. So, accept your new identity. Accept your new identity. Be convinced of your new life. This is why we read read through Hebrews rather quickly. Because he talks about being convinced. He talks about having confidence. In chapter 4, he talks about having boldness to enter the throne room of God. Why? He's my papa. I've taught my kids. You can interrupt any meeting I'm in if you need me. And if it's stupid, I'll tell you no. But you are a priority in my life, whether I'm working or whether I'm not. You call me. Folks, we have a, we have a pass. You watch American Idol, we get the platinum ticket. We got the free pass. We got the backstage pass. No one can bar us from the throne room of our Papa. The Bible says, let allow Jesus to live through us. Let this mind be in us. He tells us that we're to consider deeply. There are enemies of the mind. And we must stand aside and allow Jesus to battle for us. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.